you get more wood? Oh, yeah. You are now listening to Blast Burn Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blast Burn Radio. I am your host, Jolly by Nature, and with me today are our Hoenn friends, our 7.8 out of 10 Too Much Water co-hosts, Celeste and Messer Engine. Uh, thanks for joining me today, guys. How's it going? Hoenn hype. <laughs> exactly. The hype is indeed Hoenn. Uh, Mess buddy, how are you tonight? I'm doing okay. Uh, I can't say a lot about it right now, but this week was filled with crazy crazy stuff for mythic portal so that's super exciting i hope to be able to talk to you guys about that sometime soon but not tonight unfortunately uh and yeah that dominated my entire week uh there was just lots of excitement and waiting and excitement and waiting and more excitement and more waiting and then good news so hooray Hooray for good things. <laughs> uh, Celestine, we haven't heard from you in over a week now. You weren't able to join us last week. So how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Things have been pretty busy at work and stuff, and I'm just trying to get through it day by day. But other than that, I'm trying to get uh, back into shape and eat healthier. I actually have stuck to a calorie goal today, and I even tried to eat yogurt. It didn't go out. It didn't work that well. I don't like yogurt. I don't know why, but... <laughs> I'm just still utterly baffled by the fact that you popped into our group chat and you were like, I'm going to try yogurt for the first time today. I'm like, Celeste, you are a 30-year-old woman. How is this the first time that you are trying yogurt? Well, let me explain that. I had tried it when I was like five and hated it then. And it had scarred me so much that I never wanted to try it again, even though, you know, as an adult, your chase changed. So, No, it's okay. I fully support you in that because when I was a kid, fun little... Fun little story. We'll make this real quick. When I was a kid, I loved eggs. You see eggs all the time. Like, all the fucking time. And at some point in my, my young life, my parents decided to make a cheese omelet. And I do not like mixing things, like, when it comes to food. Like, I just don't do it. And I was like, what the, what the hell is that? And they were like, it's a cheese omelet. It's an egg, and it's got cheese in it. And you like both of those things, so it's fine. And I was like... No, if you make me eat that, I'm never eating eggs again. And they made me eat it, and I have never eaten eggs again. So, I'm right there with you. Taste aversion. Crisis moment. I get it. So, I've learned two things tonight. One of which is that Celeste does not enjoy pooping well. Um, and the other of which... <laughs> And the and the other of which is that Messer Engine continues to shit on everything I love in life, so that's great. Well, actually, I'm going to try yogurt again next week, and I'm going to keep trying to until I acquire the taste. I'm going to force myself to like it eventually, because just, I want to be healthier. Just go get some gogurt. I, I want the healthy stuff, though. I don't want sugar. <sighs> but you're so classy with gogurt. Yep, yep, yep. It's the, it's the pinkies out of yogurts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to force myself to eat this uh, Icelandic strained yogurt that has no artificial stuff or sweeteners in it and has like maybe four grams of sugar and 15 grams of protein because i want to freaking lose 100 pounds damn it 
Someday I will poop well like the women in the Activa commercials. (laughs) (laughs) We're off to a great start. This is what you get when we start Gen 3. Just descend into insanity. Pure poop jokes. jokes. (laughs) Starting strong. Uh, We're lucky there's not a poop Pokemon yet. Oh man, I'm I'm glad that you guys had a good week. I had a, a mixed bag of a week. Uh, my wife is really sick, which is unfortunate. She's actually got the flu, and it's a weird strain of the flu where the symptoms aren't super duper bad, but they just linger for fucking ever. Like her doctor told her to expect to be sick for a month, a solid month. So that's great, and I'm probably gonna get it too because it's it's my wife. So yay. <laughs> Beyond that, I am currently wearing a beaver hat, and it makes me a sad boy. <laughs> Are you really wearing it right now? Of course I am. It's it, That's my punishment. We're doing Blastburn Radio stuff. I am the loser of Series 2. I have to wear the hat, so I am wearing the hat. Out of curiosity, well, Tanner, did you wear it during podcast recordings? No, nobody can see me. It was always on my desk, though. <laughs> well, then I'm just more dedicated to the show than you are. Uh... Let's review that. You didn't go and kill dogs? Not dedicated. <laughs> uh, no, apparently I'm just not dedicated to not losing. I lost for my hubris. You know, you can return that shot right back at me at the end of Gen 3 when I don't do any contests. So just <laughs> just wait for it. Oh, Jesus. Yep. Yep. We're off to a good start tonight, guys. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump on into our Pokemon news for the week. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
So that's kind of the the easy stuff. Uh, now, there is some news this week on the VGC 2018 front. And I am very proud to announce that from this week forward, Celeste is going to be our special consultant for all things competitive Pokemon. So if there are major happenings in VGC or in and around Smogon and their tiers, you can count on our very own Celeste the Lost to keep you informed. So Celeste, what is going on in competitive Pokemon this week? Well, as discussed last week, the Pokemon Oceania International Championships took place last weekend. Winners in this tournament earned cash prizes, a ton of championship points for their respective competitive circuits, and top performers earned an invitation to the World Championship for this year. In Pokken Tournament, Japan came up big with both finalists being native Japanese competitors. In the finals match, El Mochiga overcame Midori for the top spot and the tournament win. In TGC, Tord Reklev of Norway won his third consecutive international championship in the Masters Division, and American Sebastian Enriquez won the Juniors Division. In VGC, Italy came up big in the Oceania Internationals, with Ricardo Cantrell of Italy winning in the Juniors Division, and Alessio Yuri Boschetto at Yuri VGC on Twitter, also of Italy, winning the Masters Division of a team consisting of M. Metagross, N. Tyranitar, Landorus T, Tapu Lele, Zapdos, and Amungus. Congratulations to all competitors and, of course, all the victorious champions. In addition this week, two of the biggest and most important tournaments in the Play Pokemon circuit were announced, with a North American International Championship being announced for Columbus, Ohio from July 6th to July 8th, and the 2018 Pokemon World Championships being announced for Nashville, Tennessee from August 24th to August 26th. Good luck to all who are hoping to compete in these tournaments. Thank you, Celeste. Now, there was just a little bit of news on the Pokemon Go front this week, so as always, we will turn to Messer Engine to keep us up to date on what is happening within that community. Uh, Mess, what is going on right now in Pokemon Go? Niantic can't just leave me alone for a week. They just, they just want to do cool shit. Not that Jolly thinks it's cool shit, but it's cool shit. So, a while back, they mentioned that they were going to be doing community days on a fairly regular basis, which is really, really neat. Uh, however, we have already decided, or we, they, have already decided uh, what the community day is going to be uh, for this month. It's going to be on February 24th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific or 2 to 5 Eastern Time. And during that three-hour window, Dratini will appear in greater frequency. Very great frequency. Many Dratinis left side. Lure modules will also last for three hours, and any or any all captured Pokemon will grant triple Stardust rewards. Lastly, any Dratini caught during this window, or any Dragonair evolved into Dragonite during the window, will know the exclusive move Draco Meteor. So it's a really cool event uh, if you don't have a Dragonite yet, like me, because I'm a slacker and I have a hard time finding Dragon Pokemon. Definitely take advantage of this to get yourself a Dragonite by the end of the event. Awesome. Thanks, Mess. Uh, now, this week was important in the Pokemon community, particularly the online Pokemon community for a very special reason. Uh, this Tuesday, February the 13th, was the fourth anniversary of the online phenomenon Twitch Plays Pokemon. Now, if you've been living under a rock for the last four years, Twitch Plays Pokemon was a stream on Twitch where a young, enterprising software engineer set up a system whereby Pokemon Red was played live on Twitch using only commands provided by the audience in the Twitch chat. 
It was an internet sensation blowing up to an outrageous level of popularity and spawned countless memes. The memes, including Bird Jesus, uh, the false prophet Flareon, and of course, Praise Helix. Uh, in celebration of this anniversary, the Twitch Plays Pokemon stream is running an anniversary stream of Pokemon Red and Blue simultaneously. Uh, this stream launched on this past Monday night, and it has been an absolute blast to watch. I have had this thing open for most of my waking hours for most of the five days, and it's been so fun. Currently... For the first time in the five and a half days of this fucking stream, blue version is actually ahead of red version in progression. Red has led the way through these entire games, but currently the blue version has completed all eight gym badges. Um, although the, the, the team on blue is nowhere near ready to face the elite four. So they've got a grind ahead of them. And the red version is sitting at six gyms and is currently bouncing around around the Pokemon Mansion on Cinnabar Island. Now, this series has been an absolute roller coaster. It's had countless memorable moments, including the blue version managing to catch a Pikachu, which has been affectionately dubbed Pikachu uh, by the community due to its Q-heavy nickname. Uh, and then the game promptly broke, leading to speculation that Pikachu was karst, a terrible karst. Uh, blue version also managed to capture and level an Abra, which is frankly fucking amazing for Twitch Plays Pokemon, and decided to try to trade it to red version and back between the two game files to evolve that Kadabra into a mighty Alakazam. Uh, this went about as well as you'd expect with Twitch Plays Pokemon. Uh, believe it or not, the Alakazam was successfully evolved and traded back, but red version got Blue's Charmeleon in the process and then refused to give it back, just ended the trade, leading to the trending hashtag, hashtag red is evil. Uh, there is still quite a bit of game to play. I, I'd imagine that this stream is going to be going for at least two more days. So be sure to check it out. Uh, Twitch Plays Pokemon is always just a, a ton of fun. So happy anniversary, Twitch Plays Pokemon. The internet and the Pokemon community would not be the same without you. All right, and lastly, guys, we do have a little bit of Blastburn Radio community news for you. Uh, so... We, here on the show, we have been brainstorming practically since the beginning for quite a while about cool things that we can do with you guys in our community to bring a greater level of interaction and also to help introduce more casual level fans to the fun that is competitive play in Pokemon. Uh, on that note, we are a proud so proud to announce today the formation of the Blast Burn Radio Pokemon League. Bum, bum, now, the Pokemon League is intended to be an entry-level competitive challenge, which will help teach newcomers the ropes on competitive battling and building a balanced team. Uh, challengers will be able to challenge gyms for badges and ultimately take on our Elite Four, which will consist of the Blastburn Radio hosts as well as former show host Rohane, uh, to become the League Champion, which will confer a special rank within the Discord as well as invitation to champion-only events and tournaments and competitive challenges uh now 
the league isn't open for challengers just yet. We're announcing it today, but we're not ready to launch. But we did want to announce it now because we're still looking for some gym leaders. Uh, currently, we have six gym leaders on board, and we want to run at least the obligatory eight gyms. Um, but we're perfectly open to running more, up to one gym per type. Uh, so if you enjoy Pokemon battles, if you enjoy helping and teaching others, and if you want to be a part of a unique and fun challenge that is special to our community here on Blastburn Radio, please get a hold of us on the Blastburn Radio Discord to discuss becoming a gym leader. Uh, we hope to open the Pokemon League officially up to challengers by the end of March, so please look forward to that. This is what we were hinting at when we said it was super exciting that we were launching the Discord because it was going to be the cornerstone of really awesome things. So now we get to tell you about it, so we're really jazzed. Yeah, and you know, all the all the names of all the, the cool people who are a part of this community that you hear us talk about on the podcast and on stream, um, you know, people like, like Pegasus and Tom, they're all a part of this too. So this isn't just an us project. This is a project that is of and for and by our entire community, and we're really excited for that. All right, well, that's our Pokemon news for the week, so let's go ahead and move on to the meat of our content for tonight, and that meat is the Generation 3 Pokemon games. We haven't started our gameplay yet, but we do, of course, want to discuss and dissect and go over the games that we're going to be playing. We're going to the beach, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, we, we are going to the land of water and trumpets. We are going to Hoenn, guys. We are staring down the barrel of our third game series with Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald. So before we jump into the gameplay stuff and all the nitty gritty and the technicals, let's just talk about these titles, uh, our experiences playing them, and overall just what they mean to us, what our connection to them is. Now, Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire were originally released in Japan on November 21st, 2002. 2nd is what I wanted to say. That is not correct English. Uh, (laughs) And they were released in North America on March 19th of 2003. Uh, Pokemon Emerald, the third and, quote, definitive version of the trio, was released two years later uh, on September 16th of 2004 in Japan and May 1st of 2005 in North America. Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire were overall, they were huge successes, but they were more critically received than any other title to date in the series. They received mixed critical reviews, with detractors pointing to both the similar gameplay to previous installments and the lack of backwards-reaching connectivity as negatives that detracted from the gameplay experience. Uh, They still sold a lot of copies, but they sold fewer copies than previous generations as well. Um, but that being said, they were still regarded overall as both a critical and a commercial success, just less so than generations one and two. The, the Pokemon bubble had burst, particularly in North America. So generation three is widely credited or panned, depending on who you ask, with quote, rebooting the series. And It definitely appears to be the point that Game Freak became much more forward-thinking with the Pokemon franchise, uh, looking at a design philosophy that leads to a better game series rather than just a better single game. Uh, You know, when when they were producing Pokemon Red and Blue, they didn't know it was going to take off. They were just making a fun game they wanted to make. And when they were making Gold, Silver, and Crystal... They fully expected those to be the, the end cap on the series. They were supposed to be the conclusion. So 
really when they started developing Ruby and Sapphire was when they realized, hey, we've got something that's going to keep going for a long time and we need to build it in such a manner that it can continue to go for a long time. So that's what they did. Uh, these were the first games in the series to be entirely disconnected from the Kanto region and the events of Pokemon Red and Blue. Uh, and this disconnect is both literal in that there were no connectivity features with previous games and it's also thematic. None of the people, places, or events of the first two game series are present within the Generation 3 games. Uh, for some fans, this was their biggest strength. This made them new and refreshing. Uh, for others, it was a very sour note. Now, Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire introduced 135 new Pokemon, bringing the total Pokedex up to 386 in Generation 3. All right, so... Let's talk about these games, and let's start with our Series 2 champion, uh, Messer Engine, buddy. When you think back to the Generation 3 Pokemon games, what memories or impressions stand out for you on these titles? So, 2003 is when I graduated from high school. So, these came out in March. I graduated, or was done with school, like, senior year, so May... May, June, like senior seniors get out early or they used to when I was growing up. So I had my sights on college. Like I wasn't playing Pokemon. I was working and saving money to pay for room and board and food and all of the stuff and books, God books, all the things that I needed to get done so that I could have a good, good education. And so I was not playing Pokemon at that time as you might imagine as a result i didn't actually play the gen 3 games until the remakes and more recently the actual gen 3 games when i did my emerald randomized file over the course of the last season that said there are some things that really stand out to me particularly and you're all thinking i'm going to say the water i'm not going to say the water but we'll get to that in a minute that the presentation level of Gen 3 is so much better <laughs> than the previous two generations. The sprites are beautiful. The world is vibrant in, in its color palette and in, in its choices and its, its overall design it is really, really good. And it introduced like a lot of important technical things, particularly uh, running shoes, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Running shoes are the greatest thing ever because I hate getting on and off my bike and you got them really early. Like it was really good. There's a lot of things that changed in gen three that impacted the franchise moving forward. And that shouldn't be understated. I mentioned water a minute ago and water is stupid and I hate it because it's a cave that doesn't end. That's what water is. Every single spot is a piece of grass which is just like a cave, but caves in these games are short. I mean, they might have a little long stretch in the middle, but for the most part, you go in, you go out, or you can just escape rope away if you get sick of it. Water, the ocean is everywhere. The ocean is huge. Fuck Team Aqua. And you have to go through so much of it in this game. So it, it's just you get attacked every two seconds, and it's really frustrating. Like, I feel like that wasn't really well thought through and if the encounter rate was less on the water i think it wouldn't bother me as much uh, but it does the new pokemon that they added in gen 3 were really cool too again 
there's a lot of strong visual design in this game, and I think that really lends itself to the quality of the new Pokemon. But yeah, I, I think those are my standout items. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Mess. Now, uh, of course, the, the the most important question when discussing any generation of Pokemon games, uh, do you remember who your original starter for Hoenn was? <laughs> yeah, I do. It was Mudkip. That thing is so damn cute. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah, it was Mudkip. I, I love that that little whatever the fuck it is. I don't know, rockfish, groundfish. I'm pretty sure it's an axiotal, but yeah, e- either way, either way, it's adorable. So so you would say then that, that you do, in fact, like Mudkips? I, I do, in fact, like Mudkips. I actually like most of the Gen 3 starters. I'm not going to say I don't like Trico. I've just never used Trico. I have used Mudkip. I have used Torchic. I like Torchic because it's a little chicken. That cracks me up, but f- fire... It's always in such an odd place in the games, especially early on. Like, I feel like almost every game has some sort of ground or rock type gym early because if that gym came late, it would just get raffle stomped. So, yeah, picking fire is often the harder choice. That wasn't the case necessarily in Gen 2, though uh, Cyndaquil does take a little while to get, get rolling. But, um Yeah. Like, I like me some Mudkips. That was a long way to say I like Mudkips, but there it is. Now, do you remember what your, your thought process was? Why you chose Mudkip over the other two? Oh, just because it was so damn adorable. Like, that's it. That it, That's all it took to win me over. I walked, as I often do in a new Pokemon game, to each of the little Pokeballs. And I was like, oh, what's in here? Hmm, a little chicken. Yeah, that's all right. What the f- that is so cute! And then I was like, oh, it's a gecko. So yeah, I, I'm a sap. <laughs> That's fair. Is is Mudkip still your favorite of that particular trio? Yes, very much so. Okay, uh, that that is pretty cool then. Now, for myself, and and I feel like of the three of us, I probably have the most preconceptions about this generation coming in, uh, because I think I spent the most time playing them of the three of us. So. As you pointed out, Mess, when these games came out, you were at the tail end of high school. I am just a couple of years younger than you. So when they came out for me, they were at the end of my sophomore year going into the summer leading into my junior year of high school. So much different life place, even though it's only essentially a year and a half in our ages. Very different life place. And... One thing I will always be grateful to these particular titles for is the summer that I spent playing them. Because that summer, I spent the majority of my days on my best friend's couch with him and two of our other friends, all four of us with Game Boy SPs in hand, playing the shit out of some fucking Pokemon. And it was a fucking blast. And... Yeah, that was an incredible summer of that period of my life. I would not trade those memories for anything. And by the way, related to my memories of these games are my memories of the Game Boy Advance SP because I purchased my first SP at the same time I purchased my copy of Sapphire. And holy shit, you guys, when the SP came out, it was so much better than any other handheld, not just on the market, but that had ever been on the market. The fact that, you know, it was clearly the prototype for the DS, right? Like they were clearly trying some of the design features out that would eventually become the original Nintendo DS. 
But the clamshell, which kept you from scratching or otherwise damaging the screen when it was not in use, the rechargeable battery, which meant that you were not constantly going through an eternal deluge of double A's frustrating your parents, and the backlit screen were just unspeakably huge upgrades from the Game Boy Advance or from the previous Game Boy Color line. It was enormous. and. It just, it was a joy to play. And that reflected positively on these games by experience as this was the game that I bought my SP to play. Now, as far as the games themselves, overall, like I spent a lot of time in Hoenn and and I enjoyed it, but it was a pretty big letdown for me personally. And we'll see if this impression holds true after this series. I'm really interested to see how my opinions hold up after we play them again. But I feel like a lot of people my age, a lot of people who started playing Pokemon with red, blue, and yellow and started it, you know, again, in the the mid-90s as part of that early cresting fad when we were, you know, 11 to 13 years old, really kind of bag on Gen 3 just because it was such a huge departure from what came before, and we were so solidly rooted in Generations 1 and 2. You know, personally, I it was a big, big blow to me that I could not move my Pokemon forward from my Pokemon Silver file. I had a complete Pokedex. I had my starter Blastoise that was my first starter in my Pokemon Blue run that I had beat every challenge in those games with, And he was stranded forever because I couldn't connect backwards. That was a huge and damning blow to these games for for my 17-year-old self. (sighs) Beyond that, there is a heavy reliance on HMs in Generation 3. Like, there's always been a heavy reliance on HMs, but that escalates up to a certain point in the series. And... Hoenn for me was when it first started to feel incredibly unwieldy with the the three different water HMs that you need to get around at the end of the game. It's just, and, and Rock Smash, and it's just, it's too much. It is entirely too much. And then the, the Hoenn Pokedex, like, and I don't want to trash on it because there are some really great Pokemon in the Hoenn Pokedex, but of all the regional Pokedexes, Hoenn, for me, is the meh Pokedex. Like, there's not a ton of Pokemon native to Hoenn originally that I love. There's not very many I don't like, but there's not very many that I just adore either. I'm just pretty ambivalent to them. It was a great game technically. The quality of life features and improvements cannot be understated. Just the improved PC interface alone, the running shoes, all of that is such a huge leap forward from Generation 2. And, you know, at least through Gen 5, every new generation of Pokemon brings pretty big gameplay improvements. I feel like the jump from Generation 2 to Generation 3 is hands down the single largest jump in terms of mechanical improvements. There is so much positive done. And again, I feel like that's evidence of a design philosophy that they were trying to build for the long haul. They redid a lot of the underlying code to make it sustainable. And that underlying code is still in use in modern generation games. The IV and EV system that was introduced in Generation 3, um, abilities, natures, all of that is traced back to Gen 3, and it's un 
changed aside from like balancing changes and things like that the the core features themselves the core code remains and that really speaks to its strength frankly so overall these are the games that stick out in my memory as being incredibly good i just don't like them that much okay so you just asked me do you do you remember who your first starter was since you actually played this when it actually came out Oh, my my first starter was definitively Mudkip. Up and again, up until I started dating my wife, I always chose the water starter first. And by this point, it had just become tradition. Oh, there's three Pokemon. One of those is water. That's the one for me. That's the one I'm getting. Um, so yeah, immediately, unhesitatingly, straight to Mudkip. When did that change? We're just gonna know this answer for Jolly every generation until. Um, until Gen 5, which again is actually really the next one because I didn't play Gen 4. So yeah, the the next starter I chose was not the water starter because I was dating my wife. Do you still love Mudkip or has another, another lonely starter Pokemon won your heart since then? So I really enjoy Mudkip and I really love Mega Swampert. Like he's a good big swole boy and I think he's just wonderful. I do not like Marsh Tomp or regular Swampert from a design standpoint. I think that they are just hideous fucking creatures. <laughs> like, I like them from a mechanic standpoint. Water Ground is an am- amazing typing. Um, and they're very good Pokemon. But no, overall, I think now my favorite of the trio is probably Torchic. Just because I feel like it's better designed. It's, it's line is better designed. That being said... Much in the vein of the Gen 3 Pokedex, the Gen 3 Starter Trio is the trio where I don't dislike any of them, but none of them are really even close to the top of the list for me of my favorite starters of their respective types. Trico, I think, is really, really cool. I have never used a Trico. Not even once. And I feel like that's kind of a shame, to be honest, but it just, it's never been the compelling option when I was playing through any of the Hoenn games. We're hating on that grass. (laughs) man i'm not hating on that grass that grass has been very very good to me through two series it's just the stars have never aligned to make me want to take trico i feel like you're gonna have to wait till gen 7 for me to draft intentionally a grass starter so (laughs) i'll fight you for that al i want that al not mess buddy i i have a feeling that you're gonna surprise yourself and you're gonna love snivy uh maybe we'll we'll see yeah so yeah, thank you, Mr. Jolly, for your recollections of small, small groundfish. Yeah. Yep, that's that's my feelings on, on these games and on Mudkips. Um, so Celeste, I know that you stated on the show previously that you didn't play these games, that they weren't even on your radar, that by the time they came out, you had discovered EverQuest and you only had eyes for that one true gaming love at that point in your life. Um, do you have really like any memories or recollections of Hoenn or is this completely fresh to you? It's completely fresh, honestly. I completely dropped Pokemon from my radar. I don't know exactly when, but it was between the time that uh, Gold and Silver came out because I don't, I don't even remember Crystal. Like, Crystal was new to me during our season two. I had never picked up that game. And then I don't remember Ruby Sapphire even being announced. So, yeah, this is going to be a completely new game for me. Awesome. Well, do you have any experience with this starter trio? Like, have you used them in other games? Or do you have any feelings on them just based on their design? 
I like Mudkip just because of Edgar and the typing. And it's it is definitely very cute. Got a lot of Mudkip fans. I'm not even mad. Mudkip is, in fact, adorable. Also, for a while there in the early 2000s, Mudkip was a meme that was code for butt sex. So apparently, (laughs) everybody is a fan of the butt sex. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, once again, uh, Generation 3 brought with it 135 new Pokemon, which at this point in the series was the single largest increase to the Pokedex to date. Uh, and it included a lot of what are considered to be truly iconic new species and a lot of previously unseen type combinations, which was pretty cool. Uh, now, of those new Pokemon first introduced to us in Hoenn, who was your favorite new Pokemon? Celeste, let's start with you. Uh, my favorite new Pokemon in Ruby, Sapphire, and em- Emerald um, would be Gardevoir. It's when that Pokemon was first introduced, I didn't really find out about it until I picked up a copy of, I believe, uh, Black or White. I don't remember exactly which one I got Gardevoir in. But I really like Gardevoir just from the design aspect of it because Gardevoir does not care about gender roles. A male and female Gardevoir will be look will look the same. I know that's true to all Pokemon, but Gardevoir is very, very feminine, and it just breaks that gender role, and I don't know why. I like it. That's that's really fair. Um, Now, for myself, and and this is probably not going to surprise anyone, my my favorite Gen 3 Pokemon is a bug. (laughs) And... Actually, Generation 3 is, I think, really the point in the series where it really solidified for me that Bug was, in fact, my favorite type. Because, you know, again, up until then, I liked a lot of Bug designs, but most of them just weren't particularly good. And that still kind of holds true in Gen 3. Like, Bug doesn't really have its renaissance until Gen 4 onward. Uh, But there are a lot of really cool Bug designs in Gen 3, and the one in particular that stands out to me is really the entire Ninkata family, but specifically Shedinja. I love Shedinja. I love the gimmick that evolves it, where Ninkata evolves into Ninjask, and then if you have an empty Pokeball and an empty space in your party, you also get a Shedinja, because it's the empty husk that, that the Ninjask broke out of. I love its gimmick, that it only has one HP, but it can only be damaged by super effective typings. Um, and then also, of course, things like, you know, Sandstorm and Poison and Burn. And, you know, it's it's not hard to kill unless you don't have something to kill it and then it's impossible. And it's just, it's a really fun and interesting and cool Pokemon design. Hot garbage for a Nuzlocke. I would be very surprised if I use one if I'm lucky enough to catch one because I don't want to just hand over 20 fucking points, but it's so fucking cool. And to a lesser degree, Ninjask is also extremely cool in that it's a crazy little ninja bee and that's awesome. Uh, Speed Boost is a really cool ability and it has probably more offensive presence than any bug Pokemon in the game at this point in the series, bar the big three, bar Scizor, Pinsir, and Heracross. So it was the first sign that, that, that the times they were a change in for our buggy friends. Those bugs. Yep. Those bugs, those bugs, those bugs. Uh, how about you, Messer Engine? Uh, of the 135 new Pokemon introduced in Generation 3, which one do you think is your favorite? Um... It's it's a toss up, honestly. I I'm always like really attached to my starter. Like it's just it's just the way that I'm wired, and I think a lot of people are like that. 
as mentioned, you know, I picked Mudkip when I when I started playing these games, and I really, really liked it. it I like it from a functional standpoint. Its typing is really, really solid, especially since you there's not, not to say there's not a whole lot of grass kicking around, but it, it just doesn't seem as prominent. So its big weakness, what didn't really always come into play, but the the honorable mention I really want to give to Re- Requeza. Because I think it's a really dope-ass-looking Pokemon. <laughs> Obviously, Rayquaza is crazy powerful. But it's just the visual design of this almost, like, tech-like dragon that I thought was really, really neat. So I didn't really get a chance uh, to use it because I didn't play the games until the remake. So I didn't, I didn't play, like... An Emerald remake, there wasn't one. But I always thought that it was a really cool-looking Pokemon. That's fair. And also, little-known fact, if you travel the entire Hoenn region searching hidden corners, and you bring it the seven Dragon Balls, it can bring your friends back to life. Oh. Well, that's handy. Yeah. I'll remember that. (laughs) Oh, shit. No, Rayquaza is a a really, really dope Pokemon. And actually, that reminds me, I, I think I have to give an honorable mention out as well, and that has to actually go to Kyogre for me, for being far and away up until this point in the series my favorite legendary it's just it's really fucking cool i i love the design influence where it's like this big godlike orca uh i just i really really loved it i loved its primal version in in omega ruby alpha sapphire i love the fact that it gets a unique surf sprite in those games that's really neat and rewarding i just like it i like it a lot the visual design on the cover legendaries for Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald is really solid and really unique. More so, I feel, than some of the other generations, and I've always really dug that. Yeah, I would say less so with Groudon. Like, not to hate on Groudon, but he's always looked to me like a bin up piece of chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hate on Groudon, man. I mean, Groudon's a boss, like, he's a killer, but... Eh, eh, I just eh. want to match with him uh, on a on a random. I uh, He was in my team, he was my last Pokemon alive, and I managed to get off a Swords Dance and, and Six Sweep. It was crazy. Groudon's a baller, I'm not denying that, I'm just, I'm not a huge fan of his visual design. Mega Groudon, on the other hand, is a fucking baller. Or Primal, whatever, super mega awesome with Knuckles, Groudon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what about you celeste do you have an honorable mention you want to throw out um not that i can think of honestly okay that's fine you don't have to <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's me well, ah, it wasn't it wasn't meant to be mean i'm sorry don't hate me <laughs> <laughs> okay uh okay so let's talk about some of the interesting like mechanical things that generation three did for the pokemon series and it did a lot of them again this is probably the single biggest mechanical upgrade the series has ever gotten uh generation three brought a ton of mechanical changements and improvements it completely overhauled the battle and stat systems from their aging and arguably broken status in previous games and these systems are still in place virtually untouched in modern pokemon games including the modern iv and ev system 
systems of determining Pokemon's hidden stats, which replaced the the DVs and stat EXP that were in use in previous games. Uh, it's also worth noting that DVs in Generations 1 and 2 only ranged from 1 to 15, whereas IVs, their replacement in more modern series, range from 1 to 31. So there is naturally a greater variety in different Pokemon in from this point in the series moving forward than there was in the first two. Now, it also included resolving passive damage, damage from sources like Poison, Burn, and Leech Seed, at the end of every completed turn, rather than immediately after a Pokemon Axe. Which seems like a small change, but it's a significant one. In addition to the 135 new Pokemon Generation 3 introduced, they also introduced 103 new moves, including series staples such as Dragon Dance, Calm Mind, Knock Off, and of course... Blastoban! <laughs> now, G- Generation 3 also introduced the running shoes, so finally, you too can go fast like Sanic. I love running shoes. I wish they had just gotten rid of bikes altogether, which has been like, you own sneakers. Good job. One of the things that most upsets me about this series of games, and I'm kind of glad that I still haven't played Gen 4, otherwise it would probably bother me a million and a half times more, is the fact that in Generation 4, they gave you a run toggle button on the touchscreen, so you could just push it and be running forever. And then they took it away. Why did you take that away from us, Game Freak? Why didn't you just make your base speed running? (laughs) (laughs) Now, Generation 3... The other big thing, the other big new thing uh, that they introduced was doubles battles, which opens up an entirely different competitive battling metagame and allows different Pokemon and moves to shine than in traditional singles battles. And doubles are still to this day the official competitive battle format with the VGC format for uh, play Pokemon. So yeah, that's that's really not uh, an introduction that can be understated. Like... The world championship of Pokemon is held in a battle format that was first introduced in these games. Yeah, doubles is really interesting. It's it's just a fascinating format. It is, and yeah, there's a lot of positive and a lot of negative there. My my personal gripe, and this is just a me thing, really, but I wish that if doubles was to be the official competitive format, that more of the gameplay took place in doubles battles. Like the the GameCube spinoffs, uh, Pokemon Coliseum and Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness. They are exclusively doubles battles games. And I always felt like that was really compelling. And again, if, if you want your competitive players to play in doubles, why don't we just play in doubles? Yeah, game design logic. How does it work? Fucking Pokemon, how does it work? <laughs> um, now, Generation 3 also introduced Pokemon Natures, uh, which are assigned to each Pokemon and each increase and reduce one individual stat, uh, which further increases the diversity of different Pokemon. And one thing that I think is really cool is that Natures, when they were introduced, weren't really explained. And I know for most Pokemon players, at least most base level fans of the series, like I was at the time, I had no idea what those things fucking were. And they've become more trans transparent as the series has gone on which i think is pretty cool but yeah like it's a hidden stat but it's one that you actually have a way of measuring um, just by knowing what each nature affects beyond that generation 3 also introduced pokemon abilities and this is probably the change that most affects the way the games play and more importantly the way the individual pokemon feel in battle Uh, each pokemon is granted one ability of at this point in the series up to two that their species 
has access to in Generation 3, uh, which grant them additional uh, abilities or effects. Uh, abilities can be beneficial, negative, or neutral, depending on what the ability is and the situation that the Pokemon's being used in. Um, some abilities include Intimidate, which lowers the opponent's attack stat by one stage. Essentially, it uses Growl for free upon the Pokemon entering the battle. Uh, Pickup, which allows the Pokemon to generate free items. And Truant, which makes the Pokemon only able to act on every other turn. It essentially makes every move function like Hyper Beam. Also, Huge Power, which effectively doubles the Pokemon's attack stat. Abilities are a hugely important system in Pokemon. Uh, they only get more important and more diverse as the series progresses, and they were introduced first here in Ruby and Sapphire. Abilities are really, really interesting because if you look at the competitive metagame, abilities play a huge part in that. Like, what... It's, it's basically a passive ability that changes the way Pokemon work within types, right? You look at someone like, uh, what is it, Magnemite and Magneton, which can lock steel Pokemon in. Like, that's crazy. And another electric type might not have that. It, it's a way to differentiate species in a way that they just couldn't do before that. Yeah, I, I really can't overstate abilities like abilities are huge in the way that we play pokemon nowadays i mean they're they're enormous and this is when they first got started so again when i say that i don't love the generation three games but they made huge contributions they made some pretty huge fucking contributions guys um now, another much smaller contribution to Gen 3, but one that I still think is really significant, is Pokemon Contests. Uh, they were introduced in Generation 3, and they finally gave players a competition to pursue with their Pokemon that wasn't battle-related, uh, that wasn't fighting. Uh, this is huge from a flavor and world-building perspective. Uh, Pokemon are a part of literally every aspect of your life in this world. And Pokemon as entertainers are a necessary facet of this for the world to make sense. Um, and it also gives a really fun thing for people who are into Pokemon for like the, the collecting and like friendship aspects, as opposed to the battling system, it gives them something to really pursue and work for. And that's really dope. So I, I love Pokemon contests a lot, even if they're not a series that I've ever really dived into. While I've never been big into the contest scene in the games, like, you're absolutely right. It it makes a huge impact in making the world feel real, which is, like, really important in an RPG, regardless of what type of RPG it is. And I think, though people who love contests will probably disagree with me, that's actually the the biggest draw and the most important part of contests, is that they, they fill out the world and make it feel like a real place. Yeah, absolutely. Now, many of the game systems were overhauled and drastically improved. A lot of quality of life improvements in Generation 3, uh, including the Pokemon Storage PC interface, which is so much easier to use and much, much more intuitive in Generation 3. Uh, and the berry system, which is updated to have most of the familiar berries that we all know and love, including Orin and Citrus Berries to heal damage, uh, Lepa Berries to restore PP, and Lum and other assorted berries to heal status, and, and many more no more saving three times to open a box <laughs> yes jesus christ uh no more scrolling through a list of names and having to remember what the fuck pokemon did i nickname this N none of that just and if you fill a box up it just goes to the next one. Ah, oh, it's so good <laughs> now lastly 
and this is very specific to Pokemon Emerald, uh, one of the biggest introductions to Generation 3 was the Battle Frontier. If Pokemon Crystal's Battle Tower was the granddaddy of modern post-game battle challenges, the Battle Frontiers of Generation 3 and then again of Generation 4 with Heart Gold, Soul Silver, and Platinum are widely considered to be the pinnacle of this type of content. Uh, it consists of seven different battle facilities, each of which has its own rule set, its own challenges, and its own leader, which is dubbed the Frontier Brain. Uh, these facilities represent an investment of dozens and dozens of hours, at least, to fully clear, and they represented the ultimate challenge in Pokemon at the time. Uh, generally, in more modern titles, when the community complains of lack of post-game, they're either wishing for something reminiscent of the Kanto post-game of Generation 2 that we just completed, or of the Battle Frontiers of Generation 3 and 4. Uh, and the return of such a battle park is very high on many wish lists for each new game release. Like, this is arguably the best post-game content ever gets in Pokemon. And it's kind of a shame that it's not something that we're going to touch on in our series. I've never done the Battle Frontier. You know, I didn't either. Actually, by the time Emerald came out, I was in the same life stage that you were in when Ruby and Sapphire came out mess. And so I didn't pick it up. My younger brother did actually, uh, Jack Ripper in our community. If you ever interact with him, he's actually my closest brother, Jacob, and he's 11 years younger than me. So he did pick up Emerald and he loved it. And that's still to this day, his favorite Pokemon game. Um, and he, I'm not sure if he ever 100% of the Battle Frontier, but he did a lot of it. Uh, but by that point, I was already pretty definitively over Pokemon, at least over Pokemon that wasn't Fire Red Leaf Green. But we'll talk about those titles later. But yeah, so I've never done the Battle Frontier. And yeah, that might, that might change. Keep your, keep your ear to the ground. But currently I haven't done it, but it's really neat. Now, continuing the trend of, of Series 2, at the end of the series, we looked back, we examined the run as a whole, we examined our rule set, we examined what worked and what didn't work, and we have made some changes. And probably the biggest guiding hand on those changes has, of course, been our good friend Messer Engine with his heavy background in game design. So, Mess Buddy, I'm going to go ahead and let you go over this part. What changes are we here on Blastburn Radio making to our challenge going into Series 3? And what was the logic behind those those upgrades? Sure. So a little bit of transparency about the way that we do things here at Blastburn Radio. I mean, as Jolly just mentioned, at the end of a series, we, we have a post-series meeting where we sit down for a few hours and we talk about what was good and what was bad and what worked and what didn't and... That's really important to allow us to make the product that you consume every week better. So at the end of season two, we did that. And what we discovered was that the systems that we put in place in season two to make things more interesting, the high risk, high reward rule set worked really well. Like they were really interesting. It, it definitely made the series more compelling but it wasn't perfect. Like we, we didn't really nail it. It was a big step up, but it could still be better. So we're making some changes to those core concepts that we introduced last time. And we want to continue to bring you that high risk, high reward gameplay that made series two so much better. Now let's just take a look at some of the things 
that didn't pan out exactly the way that we wanted them to. First off, the fact that we had this hard mode system uh, for the gyms, which was really cool, meant that we as competitors got used to like playing hard mode for gym leaders and then everything else was super trivialized like rival battles and regular trainers like not only did our skill level increase to meet the challenge but the fact that all of a sudden we could use healing items uh, and other items made everything feel really easy and we don't ever want things to feel too too easy for us like we're walking around at a just a jaunt being like ha ha we're going on a pokemon adventure because that's not entertaining you want us to feel like death could be around every corner so we are changing our battle items rule for this series so we will not be using any healing or activated items bar pokeballs for any trainer at any time not the elite four not a gym leader, not a rival battle, not rookie trainer, nobody. You can't use them. It's not happening. If you you folks are playing along at home, get ready for a wild ride because it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. We, also, as a point of note, not that we're gonna rip on Celeste for this, but she opened our eyes to the big loophole on the battle items, not just the healing items, and that is why they are now absolutely included in the you've been banned uh, rule set. Hard mode gyms are still sticking around, but we are obviously changing that because the hard mode is now the the base mode in some cases where we can't use the items. So a hard mode gym is simply opting not to use super effective moves during that gym. Also, the point values have been adjusted to reflect better the base challenge. So our our gym battles are up to 35 points from their normal uh, 25 points that they were uh, last time. Hardbone's going to remain at 50. Now that does something for the series. I'm going to talk about some other point changes in a minute, but I want to talk about this one specifically because it means that if you fail to do the hard mode, like if you lose a Pokemon doing hard mode, you end up worse off than if you had just gone in and done it the regular way. This is important because it means that if you can pull it off, it's a it's a really big benefit. That extra 15 points is really valuable. But if you can't do it, you're actually hurting yourself more. What we found is that because of the way we structured the challenge last time, playing hard mode was almost required all the time. And everybody did it. And I was the only one who did some gyms that weren't hard mode. And I was able to do that because I had a healthy lead. But there was no, not to say there wasn't any downside. Losing Pokemon is always bad. But the the point differential was such that if you lost one, you still came out ahead. And in reality, unless you really botched it up, you were probably only going to lose one. So we've changed that this time around. We understand that that, that isn't as compelling. It's going to be a little bit harder. But hopefully it'll be more interesting. And when somebody goes for the hard mode, you know that they got to have a plan. Because otherwise, they are just going to... So much salt. So the other point totals that are changing are the rival battles, which have been boosted to 20 to reflect the no healing difficulty, and the PvP fights, which have been boosted to 30. 
We've removed the option to sacrifice single encounters for points. Uh, this is also something that didn't work as well as we would like. It was interesting, but because some Pokemon are more garbage than other Pokemon, it felt a lot of times like you just had to sacrifice those to stay competitive. Mez sacrificing all of his encounters every week to make his co competitors very sad. So... That said, we're not getting rid of that entirely, but we're going to make it a little bit different. So instead of being able to sacrifice your individual encounters for points, you can sacrifice all of your encounters on a week to be able to heal. So, and use battle items. You, you can use items if you sacrifice all of your encounters. Now, this ranges from three to eight capturable friends, so it is a significant loss for a big benefit. There are going to be situations, because these games are harder games, they just are, that that may actually be a compelling option. Just to keep yourself from losing Pokemon. Especially for whoever gets Emerald. Emerald is just a, a harder game than Ruby Sapphire. So that is on the table. If our hosts are opting to utilize that clause, they have to announce it at the start of the stream before they start their adventure for the week. These are big changes, obviously. It's, it's completely going to change the dynamic of the way that we do the show. And as a point of note, when we finish season three in between nine and 11 weeks, however long it takes, we're going to sit down and see how they worked. So if certain things didn't work, we'll change them again. If they did work, we will retain them. Uh, there also are a couple of small things, uh, little interpretations that are specific to Gen 3 that are worth noting. So, Pokemon contests, we just talked about them. They're really cool. They expand the world. We try here at Blast from Radio to highlight the features of the new generation when we play them. That's really important, right? The games innovate over time, and we want to show that off in the challenge. So, we wanted contests to be worth points, but because there is no danger, per se, we didn't want them to be too weighty in the points department. So what we what we landed on was that each contest is going to be worth five points, uh, which gives a total value of 100 points if you clear each rank for each category, which is not insignificant. 100 points is a lot in our competition, but you got to put in the time. Winning those Masters contests is a lot of poke blocks, a lot of berries, a lot of doing the right thing. And we'll see who ends up going that route to get those points. And it's also a great catch-up mechanism. We talked about this last season. Sometimes people get ahead and it's hard to catch them because you're in a bad place or you didn't get your, your good encounters that you wanted. This is a non-combat way to get yourself points and get yourself back in the game. And I cannot stress how important that is. Absolutely. And another really important note is that Quite frankly, for for most of us at least, I'm assuming, it's kind of an unpleasant mechanic. Like, it's not the most fun or compelling thing we could be spending our time on. And so, it's something really compelling that I can go, okay, I have a healthy lead. Fuck those contests. I ain't gotta do them. We saw how well that worked out for me in Series 2 with the dogs, but <laughs> <laughs> that is still a fairly valuable component to that because if you do have that healthy lead going into the end of the game maybe you choose not to fuck with the contest and pump 20 hours into that bullshit 
Yeah, contests are a serious investment in time, and there's a good healthy amount of points on the board if you do them all to uh, warrant that time. So that's going to be really cool. Obviously, one of the, the tech changes is that the game now tells you where you caught things, which is amazing. <laughs> Because the last two generations, we'd be using the town map as our final arbiter as to did we catch something in this router area. Now, it's just on the Pokemon status screen, and that's fantastic. There are a few exceptions to that. Primarily, your starter in Gen 3, if you look at its status screen, it shows that it was encountered on Route 101. However, you don't really take ownership of that Pokemon until you return to the lab and name it. So we're going to be considering our starters, uh, our Little Root Town encounters. Uh, likewise, later in the game, you get access to the underwater section of the world via dive. And we had considered just making underwater its own area. Just underwater one encounter, it's its own area. But instead, after some discussion between Jolly Celeste and myself... We are going to have underwater count for your encounter for whatever route you're on. So if you're on, let's say, Route 10 and you dive and now you're underwater Route 10, that can be your Route 10 encounter. So that just it opens up a lot more uh, compelling catch options. And we really wanted to, to give that to you folks and, and open it up to uh, the hosts to kind of try to find what they're looking for. So... For the first time in Gen 3, we saw split evolutionary lines, like the Beautifly and Duststock's family. Uh, we were considering these split branches as separate. Like, we, we had a big discussion about this. Uh, but what that means for our challenge is that if you go ahead and encounter a Wurmple on Route 101, it goes ahead and evolves into a Silcoon. And then you go and encounter a Cascoon in Petalburg Woods that's still a valid encounter. There were reasons why we went this route. And it's because this is something that continues throughout the generations. And we wanted to make sure that we had consistency. So whatever we decided today was what we were going to stick with for the rest of the generations. And we, we really wanted to open that, that up. There's some cool Pokemon later down the road. Not to say that Beautifly and Dustops aren't cool Pokemon, uh, but there are cooler Pokemon down the road. Um, in later encounters, uh, in game versions, as mentioned, uh, if we encounter a wild Pokemon, which has the option of evolving into a different Pokemon than a previously caught member of the same family, i.e. Gloomed Vileplume or Blossom, uh, the challenger may choose whether or not to invoke Dupes Claws, but they must evolve the two differently. Regarding the Nincata line, which we talked about earlier, uh, which evolves into two separate Pokemon, should I can never pronounce Shininja's name, uh, is considered a bonus as part of the unique evolution and does not consume any encounters. It's, it's the only one like that. So we just left it as is. It's kind of cool. If you catch one to just get that. This generation brought back the Safari Zone too. Hey guys, I'm going to go catch a Venonat. <laughs> yeah comments <laughs> we're handling it the same way as we did in series one so you go into the safari zone and you throw nothing but balls and if you catch something great if you run out of balls or you run out of time or steps you get nothing so easy peasy uh and lastly 
for PvP, Gen 3 introduced doubles battles, and I just talked about how we here at the show like to highlight the specific mechanics that show up in each generation. So we are going to have some Gen 3 doubles battles in our PvP this season, which is super exciting. We're not going to do it every week. We are going to do it every third PvP showdown, uh, starting with week one. So it's going to be week one, week four, and week seven uh, will be doubles battles. Uh, For the remainder of our series, we will feature singles PvP. So we get a little bit of doubles. We get a little bit of singles. Everybody gets something cool. I think it's really exciting that we're doing this for week one because week one, I feel in the series, in each series, not to say that it's the most boring, but we're dealing with very like early stage evolution Pokemon that don't have a lot of variety or moveset. And there's a lot of redundancy on the teams in the first week. So that'll kind of shake it up and make it a little more interesting. And last but not least, because I won the last season, I get to make my own rule for Series 3. <laughs> so let's talk about my rule because I think it's going to be an interesting one. So when we talked initially about making the podcast, we thought it was really important to have this rule, this rule rule, where the, the winner gets to change up the series in some way. And... Last season, Jolly decided to ban Snorlax. Because Snorlax was just going to be on everybody's team. We all have access to it. And that's it's not compelling or interesting. And that's a totally valid way to utilize the winner's rule. It, it definitely made the competition and the experience better for you as viewers and us as hosts. In that same vein, I want to try to do something a little different that's going to hopefully improve the series as a whole, but in a different way. One of the things that frustrates me about PvP in our series in particular is that we fight each other every week as part of the challenge, and we know exactly what's coming every week because we watch each other play on Twitch. We know when something works, it's probably not going anywhere. You come in every week knowing exactly what your opponents have and what the plan is. And it's not that that's bad, but it's not exciting either. Uh, it also allows for people to really effectively counter you if given a couple weeks, which is good. Like having time for people to, to counter you is a good thing. But it means that if you have a really great team and you don't really want to sub anything out four weeks in, and I think Jolly saw this a little bit last season and so did I, people are just fucking up your shit. And it doesn't make sense for you to pull like one of your team members because it's really good for the main series, but you're just getting wrecked and losing points. That said, my rule for series three is that each week you may only field four of your six Pokemon. And it can be different for each host. The only exception to that rule is the finale in which we will battle all six of our friends because the finale is important and they all deserve to be there. This means that while you know that there is a set group of Pokemon that may appear in Showdown at the end of the week, you don't know which ones they are bringing for you. 
And that is going to be exciting. It's going to be terrifying. And it's going to provide a lot of variability in the PvP every week. And I think that's really good for the show as a whole. Uh, and I hope that you guys enjoy it. And who knows, if it goes really well, maybe that's something that we keep uh, as we move on. But we'll have to see how it goes. I have to say, Mess, when you first brought this rule to the table, I was personally really, really resistant to it. Not that I would have, like, vetoed it or anything. Like, you're you're the champ. You get to set the rule. As long as you're not, like, radically altering the series, I'm not going to push back on that. But... The more that I examined it and the more that I thought about it, the more I realized I was resistant to it, not because it wasn't what was best for the show, but just because I have a strong personal preference for 6v6 singles battles. I didn't like the concept of bringing a smaller team. But the more I looked at it objectively and the longer I looked at it, the more I realized that from an entertainment standpoint, this is fabulous. So, yeah, like, we'll see how it plays out. But I think that overall, this is a really exciting direction for us to go in. And you're absolutely correct. If it if it pays out, if it works, then it might not be going anywhere. That would be really exciting. I, I'm hoping that it's it's going to be, like edge of your seat for us when we come in every week going what did they think that i brought and therefore brought x um it's also really cool because we have people in the community who play us on showdown particularly at the end of the series or the mid-season and this is going to give them an opportunity to play in the same rule set and say bring four of your pokemon i'm bringing four of my pokemon and we'll see how it goes uh i think that's going to be really cool for them too yeah yeah this is really exciting ho and hype ho and hype you guys all right everybody well we have talked about the games we have talked about our game and now it is time for us to actually prepare for the series and get ready to play and of course the first step of that is to draft our series three starters now draft order is of course determined by performance in the previous series which means that as our series two champion messer engine gets the perk of drafting first and having all the options open to him uh Messer Engine, which starter Pokemon will be your beloved partner and you will be taking them with you on your adventures in the Hoenn region? Hmm. It's tough. Um, I think I am going to go with Torchic, actually. I really love Mudkip, but I have drafted Water twice in two series. It's been all Water all the time. And, uh, Last season, we saw that I just can't have no grass, so I guess tree goes out. We will take that adorable mascot of a fire chicken through Hoenn. I think that's that's good. Well, that's cool. Uh, I'm I'm glad that you didn't choose the water starter again because I was about to buy you some suspenders and some booty shorts and make you cosplay as Misty. <laughs> that's my cosplay. But I'm also a little bummed because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get what I want then. <laughs> um, but okay, so Messer Engine is taking the fire chicken, the spicy chicken wing uh, himself, Torchic. And so that leaves Celeste as our runner up to draft second. So Celeste, you have the choice between Mudkip, the mudfish, and Trico, the wood gecko. Is that what the fuck? Trico is? I don't even know what the fuck Trico is. He's a cool little lizard dude. Um, Celeste, which starter will you be taking with you to be your partner and lifelong friend in Hoenn? 
Well, it was going to be down to these two either way, because I didn't want to take another fire starter after Cyndaquil. Trico is very cute, and I do like the design of his evolutionary line. And uh, it, to be said that um, there's a lot of water, and without a lot of water Pokemon in Hoenn, but there's not a lot of water ground Pokemon. I think there's one other, and it's not as good as Mudkip. And I really like that type combination. Um, Edgar, my Quagsire, really opened that, my eyes to what that type could do. And not only that, it's another cute little smiley thing. I, I know the further evolutions aren't as cute, but Mudkip is. I'm taking Mudkip. Sorry, Jolly. Ah, uh, and that leaves me with Trico. I have mixed feelings about that, frankly. I don't at all mind that I didn't get Torchic. Like, it's... It's my favorite of the three evolutionary lines, but it's also, like, in its middle stage as Combuskin, it's it's shaped like a cock, uh, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> so, there's that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome to MS. I would have chosen Mudkip if I had been given my choice, uh, both because I have yet to use a water starter in our series, and so that would have completed that trio nicely, and just because Swampert is really fucking strong. Uh, that said, I, I really do like Trico. I've, I've never used him, uh, and grass types have been really good to me in this series so far, so I'm, I'm content with it. Uh, hopefully our new little grass lizard buddy keeps that trend alive and is a good strong pal for ya boy Jolly. Okay, so we have chosen our starters, we have selected our partners, now it is time for us to look at the game versions. And before we jump into drafting those, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the different game versions here and the differences between them. So, lifting the veil of secrecy of the production of this show just a little bit, parting the kimono as it were, going into series one... I, as the person who was, like, primarily directing the content and preparing for the series, I didn't give nearly enough weight to the differences between the versions, aside from just the different available Pokemon, and that's entirely my bad. I did not at all prepare poor Rohane for the fact that he was going to be facing down gym leaders that were, like, six to eight levels above the level limit for the week on several weeks of that particular challenge, and he was the least experienced of us coming in, so... That was very much my B. Um, in fact, we actually wound up altering the flow of gameplay a little bit at one point, just trying to keep poor Rohane from wiping against Koga. Uh, it was bad. It was real, real bad. So, yeah, that was entirely my fault. I just communicated to these guys that Yellow had a better pool of available Pokemon, which is true. I didn't communicate how much harder the gym battles were. So ever since then, I have been hyper aware of those differences when preparing for these series. Uh, it wasn't really a concern in Crystal. Uh, in Crystal, it really just was a case of better Pokemon availability with no downside. It was no harder at all than Gold or Silver. So that was a no-brainer choice for Celeste, who got the first choice of versions. Emerald, however, is a bit of a mixed bag between the two. So, Emerald is really positive, and it's really positive for a number of different reasons. I mean, first, there's just the fact that it's, like, the definitive game version, and so, like, it has, like, the complete story, and it has, like, a couple of little features, and just really cool shit all over the place, and that's neat. Um, but also, Emerald has really, really good Pokemon availability. It actually has a couple of areas that don't even exist in Ruby and Sapphire, and thus just straight bonus encounters, so that's cool. A couple of the rarer Pokemon are less rare in Emerald, and 
more importantly for the purpose of our challenge the way things actually break down because there are some changed and additional encounters there are more points on the board in emerald than there are in ruby and sapphire uh, we grant points for defeating evil team leaders uh, and there are two additional evil team leader boss fights in emerald that are not present in ruby and sapphire we also grant points for defeating your rival and there is one additional rival battle even factoring in the fact that whoever chooses Emerald does not get to fight and defeat their cover legendary, uh, because Rayquaza is level 70 and our highest level limit for this series is 55, so it would be, frankly, fucking suicide to pursue KOing Rayquaza for points. Even considering that, there are still 60 more points just on the board in Emerald that just aren't there in Ruby and Sapphire. Uh, we talked at great length about nullifying those points. Ultimately, we decided to keep them. And the reason we decided to keep them is because, A, the player of Emerald has to complete all those boss battles. They have to successfully defeat those evil team leaders and that rival battle to earn them. And so it would be kind of unfair to give them those additional challenges and not reward them in some way. And B, and the B is the big one, Emerald is substantially fucking harder than Ruby and Sapphire. And it may not look so at first glance. If you're just looking at numbers, if you're just looking at like Pokemon levels and number of Pokemon, you might say, okay, Jolly, well, you know, most of these gems have one or two additional Pokemon. They might go a level above what it is in Ruby and Sapphire. That's not so bad. But the problem is in the nitty gritty. It's in the details. And in particular, in the case of gym battle and just in general boss battle difficulty, it's in the move sets of the Pokemon that they bring. And it's in the items that the Pokemon hold, which essentially none of them in Ruby and Sapphire hold items at all. But for instance, Flannery and Emerald holds a white herb, which means that her Torkoal can use overheat twice before it has to suffer the, the stat down from overheat. So that's fucking brutal. Emerald is the version of high risk and high reward in this series. There are definite upsides, but it's also entirely possible that whichever of us chooses Emerald is going to wipe by the end of the series and have to start over from scratch. So that's kind of what's on the table here. Now, I put a ton of thought into this decision. I, of course, was the series loser, the big loser of series two. I am saddled with the hat of shame, which is currently perched atop my head. Uh, and that also confers the first choice of game version onto me. I was really tempted for quite a while to draft Ruby um, because just the particular set of wild Pokemon available in Ruby was really compelling to me. There are a lot of really compelling options uh, in Ruby and a few that either aren't available or are incredibly rare in both Sapphire and Emerald. So that was neat. And I was really tempted, but ultimately after a ton of thought, I have decided to draft Emerald as my game version. It is extremely dangerous, uh, but I'm confident that I can handle that danger, and I plan to make really good use of the additional advantages that Emerald version offers over Ruby and Sapphire. So this is a choice that may very well bite me square in the dick, but we're going to take it and we're going to run with it. I really wish we weren't running with it with Trico, but we are. So fuck it. YOLO. <laughs>
so that's that's me. I am choosing Emerald version. I will be going into all of the hardest boss fights. So look forward to that. And that leaves Celeste, who is again our our runner up, and so she's still our second to draft in this choice. That leaves Celeste with the choice of either Ruby or Sapphire. So Celeste, which game version will you be playing for our Generation Three series? So. Before you made the decision of Emerald, I knew I wasn't going to choose Emerald because I am absolutely scared of it. Even with all the positives, the negatives outweigh it, and you've already explained that. I just wanted to reiterate that. Comparing Ruby and Sapphire, though, they have some differences, but not enough to make it really easy to choose. What it came down to, I really want a chance at a Zangus and a Duskull, and Ruby opens that up. So that's what I'm going to choose. Awesome. So Messer Engine, that is going to leave you with Sapphire version. How do you feel about that? Fuck water. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I I actually feel okay about that. I was fairly convinced, actually, that you were going to deal me Emerald as a uh, revenge kill for what happened at the end of Series 2. And uh, just send me right back down to the doofat. Just via game choice. But that didn't happen. So good on you, sir. Good luck with that damning difficulty level. I'll take that whale and kill it. I hate that whale. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that is... I mean, that that is our preparation for Series 3. We have selected our starters. We have selected our versions. We have mused on the games. And we're ready to jump in and play them this week. And I am personally really, really hyped for it. Hoenn hype. But that said... We're not going to Hoenn alone. Uh, As always, this week did bring a new series of updates and letters from you listeners who are eagerly anticipating the start of our Generation 3 challenge. Now, first on our list is an email from friend and listener of the show, Cameron Johns. Uh, Celeste, would you do us the honors this week and read Cameron's email for us? Sure. Hey there, Jolly Mez and Celeste. While I don't have any Nuzlocke news, I wanted to update you three anyway. The esports club is still going good, and we just held a Rocket League tournament, of which I was the MC of. This is the reason why there is no Nuzlocke news, because it took a lot of planning, but it paid off because the tournament was a hit. Also, I finally downloaded Crystal, and am now playing the only region that I've never played before. I have also become a student body senator, so that's taking a bit of my time, too. Anyway, this is about it for me, so I hope everybody in the Blasphem Radio community is doing well, and I will hopefully have actual news for you next week. Yours, Vacation in Alola, Cameron Johns. Awesome. Thank you, Celeste. And thank you, Cameron. Uh, I'm sorry that you didn't get a chance to move forward with your Nuzlocke run this week, but it sounds like you had a bunch of good things happening, and we're all super excited for you. Personally, I think it's really, really dope that you're playing Generation 2, that you've downloaded Crystal. Again, we just finished those games. They were a lot of fun. I hope you have a lot of fun, too. Now, this week also brought our expected weekly email from community moderator and proud, triumphant member of Team Messer Engine, Pegasus League Live. Uh, Mess, would you do us the honor and read our message from Pegasus? Sure thing. So Pegasus says, hey everybody, Series 3 is upon us. It's time to take a trip to to the Hoenn region. If this goes well, it'll be the first time I've ever beat the original Gen 3 campaign. So as you either have or will be, I will reveal to all the listeners my game version and starter 
I've known my decision since the beginning. My starter will be the grass-type Trico, and my game version will be Sapphire. I'm excited to get going. We'll be starting Monday morning. Wish me luck. Awesome. Thank you, Peg. Uh, I am super glad to have you aboard Team Trico, even if I didn't choose to be a part of Team Trico. (laughs) I am really glad that this is going to be your first trip through the original Hoenn, and I'm glad that we get to experience that together. Yeah, it's going to be super exciting. You remember... You remember like a couple of weeks ago when Pegasus was like, I'm going to play with your rule set this this series? We'll see if uh, he chickens out after listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> no items. Uh, well, I, I, I don't think he will now that you've called his balls into question. <laughs> <laughs> now, lastly, this week brought another email from friend of the show, Trainer Mimic, Tom Archard. And I do believe that I will go ahead and I will read Tom's email for you guys. Uh, Tom writes, what's up, guys? Tom here. I'm super excited for the next season of Nuzlocke Challenges, and I've dusted off my cartridge of Pokemon Emerald for our run. I've decided to start with Torchic for this run, and I'm going to name him Kiki Boy, and thus have Blank Boy be my nickname theme. And of course, it's B-O-I Boy. Uh, <laughs> it's a little lame and cringy, but I like it all the same. I hope your runs all go well this week. I'll be providing you with weekly updates if all goes to plan. I have a question for you guys that I've always wondered about. In Pokemon Black and White, your player character at the end of the game leaves on his legendary dragon to go and find N. And in Pokemon Black 2 and White 2, they reference this a couple of times. But in Black 2 and White 2, N is back in Unova. So my question is, did our player character find N and what happened to him? Obviously, this is only for speculation, but I'd love to hear your opinions. I was disappointed in Black 2 and White 2 that I never got a trainer battle with our player character from Black and White. It would have been the perfect homage to Gold and Silver. Anyway, I hope you guys are well. Chat to you soon. Tom. Team Torchic! <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom. We are all super excited to have you back on board the Blastburn Radio Train for this series. As for the protagonist from Black and White... Honestly, my headcanon, what I want to be true, is that he found in, they made their peace together, and he got to just move on and just live a happy life. Uh, Maybe that's not even unrealistic. Most likely Game Freak just didn't want to resolve it. Uh, But man, the protagonist of Black and White went through some shit for a main series Pokemon character, and frankly, he just fucking deserves it. He deserves to ride off into that sunset. I have never played those games. I have no opinion. I have touched black and white barely. Yeah. All jolly all the time. Today. <laughs> <laughs> now, dear listener, if you are a proud member of the Blastburn Nation like Tom, Pegasus, and Cameron, and you are playing along with us at home, uh, which, again, if you would like to, like now is the perfect time to start. We are starting a brand new game series. You can play right along with us one gym a week. It's not a huge time commitment and it's a whole lot of fun. Or if you're not playing along with us at home and you just want to uh, let us know about your opinions and feelings on the show or what you are doing, we, we totally want to hear from you. Uh, be sure to get at us by email, through social media, uh, through Discord, and we will gladly read your messages on air. Come hang out with us in Discord. Do it. It's great. Yeah. And, and remember, we're starting up the Blastburn Radio Pokemon League, and that's going to be a whole, whole lot of fun, and we're going to be organizing all of that through 
our Discord server. So definitely uh, check out the invite link in the show notes for today's episode and click and hop in there and chat with us. And if you want to be a gym leader, tell us all about that because that would be dope too. Now let's go ahead and look forward to our first week of Nuzlocke gameplay for series three. Uh, now this week, our host will be moving to a new home in little root town where we will discover that our dad's friend, professor Birch is in trouble. We'll save him from a wild Pokemon and receive our new Pokemon partners in return. He will also introduce us to his precious, precious child who may or may not be a boy or a girl, depending on what you are, because apparently that's how that thing works. Um, we will explore the surrounding area, including routes 101, 102, and 103, and Old Dale Town, before finally visiting our, our dad, Norman, in Petalburg City at his new gym and meeting another new friend, uh, Wally, who's like one of those cancer kids in the sick ward that you feel real, real bad for. Um, <laughs> we will head west and north from Petalburg City through Route 104 and the Petalburg Woods, where we will meet an employee of the Devon Corporation. And we will save him from a dangerous, dastardly criminal. Finally, we will reach Rustboro City, where Roxanne awaits in the Rustboro Gym with her team of solid rock types. Our level limit for this week's gameplay will be 15. How how are you feeling going into the series, guys? Do you have any particular Pokemon friends that you're hopeful that you'll catch this week or later in the series? Uh, do you have any goals for your team that, that were maybe informed by your experiences in our last game series? My goal for this week is don't die to a bunch of rocks. Because remember how we just talked about fire Pokemon at the start of the game? It's not fun. Yeah, I self-imposed that on myself. So let's not get Torchic killed in week one. Uh, that That is my goal for the week. Everything else is secondary. My goal is kind of not a- obtainable because it's a 4% chance to get a Ralts. But if I get that Ralts, it would be amazing. Yeah, Ralts is, is hard. That would be a super duper lucky encounter for you. I hope you get it, hun. I'm not particularly scared of it. So by all means, <laughs> get that Gardevoir. All right, guys. Well, that is our show for the week. So, of course, we are heading into a new gameplay series, and we want to let you guys know when you can catch our gameplay, when you can watch us live. Uh, Messer Engine, you generally stream first on the week. Is that going to be true this week as well? Yeah. Hohen Hype. Tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, twitch.tv slash Messer Engine. We are taking our Torchic, and we are going to beat Roxanne. It's going to happen. So... Do the thing, and then come hang out with me on Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And I don't know what I'm going to be running, and I'm trying to figure out. I'm sorry. Who knows? Maybe I'll play Black and White if I can get that set up, because I've never played those games. Maybe not as a Nuzlocke, because I have no clue what I'm doing, but we'll see. Awesome. Thanks, Mess. Now, just to, to be clear and to clarify, as this is a always on always downloadable audio medium um when when messer engine says he will be streaming tomorrow that is tomorrow from this time of recording which is sunday february the 18th not necessarily tomorrow from when you're listening to it so don't show up in his channel on like thursday and be like mess lied to me like no he's he's streaming sunday everyone knows that mess lies to everyone though so that might be true (laughs) Yes, mess lies to everyone and hates joy. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, sun- Sunday evening, 6 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash Messer Engine. And I will definitely be watching that stream because I want to see your sweet, sweet chicken boy die. Um, <laughs> Jeez. 
Ah, I, I have no love left in my heart for you assholes. You were constantly cheering the deaths of my beloved friends all last series. Yeah, you, you know what? It's going to happen again because you have the the deadliest version and the highest likelihood of blood. Yep, I sure do. And I will be starting that series on Tuesday evening, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, same bat time, same bat station at twitch.tv slash jollybynature. Now, the pace of gameplay this series is going to be much, much closer to what it was in series one. So there probably won't always need to be a second night of streaming for our Nuzlocke gameplay. Uh, this week, there almost certainly will be, though, because week one always has a heavy grind because we're catching level two and three Pokemon and having to get it to 15 for level limit. Um, so that second night will definitely be Friday evening, also 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash jollybynature. And if we get through our Nuzlocke gameplay, then maybe we'll go back to doing some Pokemon Showdown. We had a lot of fun with that this week. Maybe we'll pick it right back up. Now, that, of course, leaves you, Miss Celeste Lost. Uh, and when will you be streaming this week on Twitch? It'll be on Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash Celeste Lost. And I guess if a second night is needed, it will be on Thursday at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. Awesome. Thank you, Celeste. Now, everybody out there, sweet, dear, gentle, uh, lover-like, maybe? I, I don't know. Is that is that too far? Maybe that's too it's far. too far. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dear listeners, we want to hear from you. We want your emails. Uh, whether you're playing along with us at home, doing your own super dope challenge run that's way more awesome than the stupid shit that we're doing, uh, that you just want to talk about, or if you just want to give us your thoughts and feelings on the show and what we're doing, please send us your emails to blastburnradio at gmail.com or get at the show on social media on Twitter or Facebook at blastburnradio. And again, if you want to help the show grow, and I hope that you do if you enjoy the product that we make, please take a minute to rate and or review the show on your podcatcher of choice, preferably iTunes because it's the biggest one, but any of them, we really, really appreciate it. We got one additional rating this week after we talked about it last week, and it boosted us five search results on iTunes. Like, I, I really can't stress what a difference it makes for the search algorithms, and we want it to be where when someone searches for Pokemon on a podcatcher, we're right up there at the top with the big boys. So help us out. We really, really appreciate it. Give us those delicious, delicious ratings. Thank you to whoever left that rating after we asked you to help last week. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And if you leave us a review, even if it's a negative review, you don't have to say good things if you don't feel good things. But if you leave us a review, we will read that on air as well. Now, as always, I do want to thank our hosts for joining us for the show this evening. Uh, Messer Engine, where can our listeners find you and your other projects, including Mythic Portal Games and Power VTT Online? You can always follow me on Twitter uh, at Messer Engine. You can check out Mythic Portal Games on Twitter or Facebook. On Twitter, we are at Mythic Portal. On Facebook, we are Mythic Portal Games. Uh, you can also check us out on Power VTT at www.poweredvtt.com, where all of our assets are currently available as part of your regular subscription to that platform. That's over 6,500 plus map and token assets for all your RPG needs. And also, a, a new addition, and we're, I want to mention it because we did mention it earlier. We're starting to make some moves with our website, and there's going to be a blog up by yours truly called Rookie Trainer, where I'm going to talk about the metagame that exists for this challenge and what goes into our team building and PvP decisions each week. So 
we will get you some more information on that when we know exactly when everything's up, but expect those blog posts to start coming out this week. That's awesome. And just to confirm, Celeste, the, the URL for the blog is blastburnradio.com slash rookie trainer. Is that correct? It's just blastburnradio.com slash rookie. Slash rookie. Oh, blastburnradio.com slash rookie. Uh, the rest of the website is very much under construction. Please don't look too hard. <laughs> It'll burn your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Messer Engine. Um, now, of course, Celeste has also been kind enough to join us this evening. And Celeste Hunt, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Celeste Lost. And that's about it for now. What about you, Stephen? Where can our listeners find you? Awesome. Thank you, Celeste. Uh, once again, you can find me streaming when I am streaming all live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash jollybynature. Uh, we picked up a lot of new follows this week, a couple of new subscribers, which is wonderful and fantastic. I really cannot thank those of you who enjoy the content we produce enough to support us financially. I cannot thank you enough. It means worlds. So thank you for that. Uh, and we also got raided by Jodor, which was fucking phenomenal. So if you happen to be listening, Jodor, or if you are a part of the Jodor nation who attacked us on Tuesday night, thank you. We really appreciate that. If you want to reach out to me or see what I'm up to, you can also follow me personally on Twitter at BBR Jolly, or be sure to follow the show on Twitter or Facebook at Blastburn Radio, and we will keep you up to date on what all of our hosts are doing around the web. Uh, now, as always, I do want to thank everyone for joining us today. I want to give a very special thank you as always, to my co-hosts, Messer Engine and Celeste, for Blastburn Radio, I am Jolly by Nature. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Oh, and hype! Yay! Blastburn Radio is a production of Challenge Accepted Media. This episode was produced by Jolly by Nature, Celeste the Lost, and Messer Engine. Pokemon and all related games and characters are the property and trademark of Nintendo, Game Freak, and the Pokemon Company. Opening music in today's episode includes Game On by Fishy. Check out this and other video game remixes at ocremix.org. Battle and closing music in today's episode provided by Glitch X City. Check out all of her great tracks at soundcloud.com slash glitchxcity. Design work and stream assets provided by Rachel Mondragon. Check out her portfolio or contact her for commissions at rachelmondragon.com. Blastburn Radio and its hosts are solely responsible for its content. 